Righteousness and my one defense, it always blows my mind how when two servants, like Adam and I, haven't talked at all, but how we're totally connected by the scripture we're preparing for. And what I mean by that is how the songs line up with not just the scripture, but the scripture that's going to be preached. The dots are connected when like-minded servants are on the same page with scripture. With that, as we're going through today's sermon, think about that, Lord, I need you, and how that song connects to this morning's message. I would also like to um, thank Pastor Hiltz. Hopefully I got your name correct, Pastor Hiltz. Um, the smile that you brought to the pulpit the love and kindness of Christ in your face, which is so often absent in the faces of those who claim Christ. When you smiled, it was obvious to me that the Lord clearly probably uses that smile as an icebreaker with that challenged community that, that you deal with. So thank you for that, for bringing that up here. In November of 2020, I was wrongly accused of something at work that I did not do. I provided my side of the story with complete documentation of all of my interactions with the accuser, and it appeared to be a non-issue. Until March of 2021, that is. Four months after being accused, I was contacted and informed that because of the nature of the accusation, it had to be reported to the federal government, and that I could possibly lose my job. Having a wife and seven children, the thought of not having a job was unsettling, to say the least. The powers of B told me that they would be in touch. A day went by, then a week, then a month, then months. For what seemed like forever, I waited for whatever was coming. Every time I opened my email or received a phone call from my employer, I wondered, is this it? Is this the day I learn of my fate? But nothing came. Eventually, I forgot about the whole thing until November of 2021. Eight months later, I finally received a correspondence. Long story short, I'm thankful to still have my job. And by the grace of God, I've even recently been promoted. The behind the scene details are a mystery to me. But what is not a mystery is the aching anxiety that I experienced for almost a year wondering about my employment status. As my wife, the elders, and those who attend Scripture for Living will tell you, this was a greatly challenging time for me. And as God is my witness, I know that it was two things that kept me going. First, a praying, supportive wife, combined with the prayers of others. And second, dwelling on clinging to memorized scripture. That is, leaning on the truths of God for comfort and the strength to keep on keeping on. Having scripture accessible in my mind to pray on and to replace the negative thoughts with is one of the greatest gifts the Holy Spirit blesses us with to help us practice our faith as we walk with the God we claim to be our Lord especially during trials. I'm so thankful for the job the Lord has given me, but I also know it's his to take. 
as is everything. Everything in life is a gift of grace. 2 Corinthians 3.5 reminds us that not that we are adequate in ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Even our ability to tie our shoe is a gift from God. The first time I said that to my kids, they laughed. And then I pointed out somebody in a wheelchair and they understood. Everything in this life is on loan from our creator and intended to serve his purposes for us all as blessed participants in his good and perfect plans. I also know that employment status is not the only trial in life. My family's home septic needs to be replaced. And because of the drought, our well is struggling to produce enough water for my family. I recently lost my mother. And I have seven kids. They're currently perfect angels. <laughs> but, but I know that could change. Now, why am I sharing this? First, the Lord has blessed me with the privilege of preaching about anxiety, something I'm very familiar with. And second, to hopefully make clear that your elders are just like you. That is, we too have the challenges of life fall into our laps daily. Or as Chip Kettering reminds me often, opportunities. Opportunities to grow in our faith, which is what God's word teaches us and empowers us to do. Listen to what the Spirit says in this morning's scripture, Matthew 6, 25 through 30. For this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky that they do not sow nor reap nor gather crops into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And how much more important are you than they? And which of you by worrying can add a single day to his lifespan? And why are you worried about clothing? Notice how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor, nor do they spin thread for cloth. Yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory did not clothe himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not clothe you much more? You of little faith. This is the word of God. Let's consider this as we pray this morning in preparation and with expectation that God will encourage us with his breathed out and living words. Please bow your heads. Jesus, as Thomas so declared upon your showing up behind locked doors eight days after you rose up and walked out of your tomb and showed him your crucifixion scars, just like Thomas, we praise you as our Lord and God. We know you to be the word in flesh, the image of the invisible God, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. 
fully man and fully God, the conqueror of death, the only one by which we place our eternal hope and call our great reward. And for this, we also thank you. Thank you for eternal hope. Thank you for wisdom and direction beyond the sun because of the living, breathed out words that you have placed in our hands and the living, interceding spirit of truth you've placed in our hearts upon true acceptance of your invitation into your kingdom. Thank you for not only giving us the faith to believe in, but also equipping us to act on your words as the Lord of our lives. As the hymn Ancient Words says, words of life, words of hope, words to help us cope in this world and guide us home. We also know, Lord, that while your gift of salvation is free, we must accept your gift. And that we, when we do, our lives are transformed increasingly to reflect you. It is no longer we who lead our lives, but you, Lord. You say the righteous shall live by faith. And for this we pray, Lord, give us the ability to live out our faith as though you are indeed the Lord that we claim is leading our lives. Help us to live transformed lives and cast all of our anxieties on you, Lord. You are the great amen. Amen. This morning, I've structured things a bit differently. The purpose of structure in speaking, teaching, and preaching is not only so that you at the assembly can logically and easily follow the flow of words, but also so that the messenger can track their own thoughts and words. Like many, I prefer a traditional three-point plan with specific principles formatted to easily track. Clear communication demands clarity of structure. However, as long as things are indeed clear, there are no rules other than making sure that there is a clear roadmap to follow. With this considered, I believe today's scripture does this for us. This morning's scripture is a simple list of statements and questions perfectly organized as only God can do. So today, we're simply going to consider each statement and question as posed by Jesus in Matthew 6, 25 through 30 to address anxiety. Jesus gives us a perfectly structured roadmap right here in the pages of his word that does not call for a PowerPoint or anything else a teacher may employ to try and communicate as clearly as possible. So all we're going to do is start at the top and work our way down. Beginning with Matthew 6.25. And while these verses are printed for you, I also encourage you to always engage God's word by having an open Bible to focus your reverence and to remind you of the blessing whenever possible to be holding and engaging God's words in your very hands. It's a privilege never to be taken lightly, a privilege we might not always have, which is also a good reason to practice scripture memory. Beginning with Matthew 6.25, for this reason I say to you not to be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is life not more than food, the body more than clothing? Notice how this verse begins. For this reason I say to you. Well, what is this reason? Think about that statement for a moment. Why did Jesus say, for this reason, I say to you, followed by, do not be worried about your life. 
because this statement is part of a logical progression of all the words that we have been studying together as a church. In this, the greatest speech ever given, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Listen to what Jesus says starting in Matthew 6, 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Continuing with verses 20 and 21. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And concluding with the verse before our scripture today, verse 24, no one can serve two masters for he will either hate one and love the other or will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. If our priorities reflect our planning and our ability to control things, then we cheapen and even deny the Lordship of Christ in our lives and the eternal heavenly perspective, hope and direction that only he can provide. And when we do this, we are acting as though we are the Lord of our life rather than giving everything over to him. And in doing so, our self-absorbed obsessions become idols. This is anything that consumes our thoughts and behavior. And as a result, there is always an anxious spirit, anxiety. Hence the title of today's sermon, Who is the Lord of Your Life? Do you ever attempt to be the Lord of your life? Or do you give all of your concerns over to Christ, the true Lord? The definition of Lord is a person who has authority, control, or power over others, the master, chief, or ruler. And there's a reason 1 Timothy 6.15 calls Christ the only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And Colossians 1.17 says, in him all things hold together. Not some things, all things. Jesus has everything under control for his good and perfect will. And notice that his words do not say, do not be concerned about your life, but rather do not worry about your life as to what you will eat or drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. This is not a call to walk through life irresponsibly complacent, thinking, oh, Jesus will take care of everything. From start to finish, the Bible makes clear we are placed in this world to work and be responsible stewards of his blessings. Listen to what Psalm 90:17 says. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And God-honoring work, Proverbs 12:11 tells us, leads to God-honoring stewardship. He who tills his land will have plenty of bread. But he who pursues worthless things lacks sense. And these are not suggestions from God, but directions for living. And 2 Thessalonians 3.10 tells us how this relates to food. And I will add water and clothing and everything else. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat. 
either. Now back to our morning scripture, Matthew 6, 25. Do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. While we are called not to worry about our life, we are called to be concerned about it. And this means living in the way God tells us to live. When we do this, life goes much smoother. Scripture makes clear that there will be trials in this life. And they are meant to grow us in our faith. But scripture also makes clear that on a practical level, when we follow the directions for living given to us in God's word, more often than not, things go well. And while we must be concerned about things like food, water, and clothing, we don't need to worry about it. If we are walking with God and following his directions. Look how verse 25 ends with a question. Is life not more than food, the body more than clothing? What does Jesus question us for here? What's it mean to you? Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? On May 2nd, my mom went home to be with the Lord. At that moment, the moment of death, the only thing that mattered in life was that she had Christ. And not only was my mother's death guided by Christ, but her life before was guided by Christ. While my mother was alive, she worked harder than anyone I know. And she loved to eat. But my mother also knew that work and the blessings that come with it are not the key to a fulfilled life. Only Christ can offer that. He, the true and living bread. He prepares us for eternity. Listen to what he, Christ, says in John 6, 51. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven if anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread, also which I give for life, is the word, for the world is my flesh. Acceptance of Christ is acceptance of this bread. And meditating on his words daily carry us through life, preparing us for the next. Many months ago, we had the privilege of opening up the book of Ecclesiastes. We studied briefly the life of Solomon, King Solomon, the wisest and richest man to ever live. For most of his life, he focused on the things of this world, and as a result, he declared life to be vain and miserable as a result of trying to be the Lord of his own life. Thankfully, it appears that the Lord gave him grace, and at the end of his life, clarity Listen to these words from the end of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verse 13. The conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments. And with that, I pray you all understand the commandments isn't just the Ten Commandments. This whole book is a command, directions for living. And at the end of his life, Solomon said, we got to listen to God and follow him. Life is indeed much more than food, drink, and clothing, and all the material wealth most of us, most of us, myself included, chase after to some degree. But our next verse reminds us who is in control and what his priority is. 
Matthew 6, 26, moving down through our scripture. Look at the birds of the sky that they do not sow nor reap nor gather crops into barns. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more important than they? Genesis 1 makes it very clear that there is a difference between animals and men. For his glory, God spoke all of creation, including animals, into existence. But God created man in his own image and gave him dominion over the earth. And Genesis 2 tells us that while everything else was merely spoken into existence, God formed man from the dust of the earth and then breathed life into his nostrils, giving us a very intimate picture of God's special intentions and connection to man. God then took part of the man's body, a rib, and used the rib to make man complete by giving him a wife and the blessing of marriage, which is also a symbol of God's love and commitment to his people. Interesting to note, rib bones are the only bones with the ability to regenerate themselves. Rib bones contain cells that give them the ability to manufacture new bones. Modern science acts like this is an amazing recent discovery. But for those who read the Bible, know that this is old news. God has also shared many of his attributes with man. First and foremost, speech. The very attribute God used to create the world we live in in the heavens above, he's blessed man with. The ability to speak. Speech not only separates us from the animals, but speech gives us the ability to communicate and have a relationship with our creator. Speech gives man the ability to reign over the earth. And speech gives us the ability to develop relationships with others, first and foremost, to know and practice love. And even more amazing than a rib bone being able to regenerate itself Scientists cannot explain how speech works or where it came from. The process of speech does not line up with the all-inclusive theory of evolution, which is also the greatest conundrum for those who place their faith in evolution. Evolution, in order to be considered true, has to explain everything. It cannot explain speech. The creative truth of speech places a hole in the theory of evolution, making it less than complete. And it is the miracle of speech God uses to commune with and save man from himself because of his inability to be his own Lord, just as demonstrated in the garden and continuing throughout all of human history. Thankfully, because of God's love, he promised in Genesis and delivered in Matthew our Savior, Jesus. And we know this because of speech. Just as Romans 10, 17 tells us, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Today, much of the world has elevated the animal kingdom to equality with man and often to idolatry. But Christ makes it very clear that both with his creation of us and his sacrificial love for us that we are, to quote him, much more important than the animals, for which he also cares greatly for. 
We should find great security in this. Moving on to Matthew 6, 27. And which of you by worrying can add a single day to his lifespan? God is in charge. God is sovereign over all of creation, which means that he's totally in control. I'll be the first to admit it is impossible to wrap my mind around this or come to terms with it fully. But this is why belief requires faith. And not that we need more beyond the creation we are blessed to have before our very eyes. But God's breathed out words, his living and active words, help us to process the truth of his sovereignty. Luke 12, 7 says, the very head, hair on all of our heads has been numbered. And Matthew 10, 29 says, are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Not even a little bird dies outside of God's sovereign influence. And this same God has numbered all the hairs which we will all ever have on our heads, which means he's planned out every single life in this room from start to finish. And while it's impossible for a finite brain to comprehend the infinite plans of a perfect God, he blesses us with the faith to believe. And when we acknowledge this truth and the guidance he offers, it makes life so much more rich because we can lean on him for everything. A couple of my go-to verses when I hit roadblocks in life, I wonder why is this going on? Proverbs 16, 1 and 9. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. The mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. The Lord is in control. That is why he's called Lord with a capital L. A wonderful Bible teacher I was blessed to learn under for about 15 years describes God's sovereignty this way. The train is going to get to its destination no matter what. And while we can make the journey more challenging along the way than it needs to be, the train is still going to get to its destination. One of the ways we can make our journey smoother is to speak and act in ways that reflect following the Lord who has numbered the hairs on our head. By always acknowledging who is in control and casting our fears on him. 1 Peter 5, 6-7 puts it this way. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Casting all your fears upon him because he cares for you. First and foremost, embracing the truth that we are not in control requires humility, which is the opposite of perhaps the greatest sin there is, pride. But consider the benefit of humbly surrendering your life to God, the right to cast all, not some, all, our anxieties on him. Note the definition of cast. Everybody look up. Cast means to throw. Picture this in your mind, the act of throwing your fears at God. That's powerful imagery. And that's what his word says to do. That's how serious he wants us to take 
giving our anxieties to him. He says, throw them at me. And why can we do this? Because he cares for us. We are his image bearers. Moving on to Matthew 6:28a. And why are you worried about clothing? Anything we use to cover ourselves can apply here. Jewelry, nice cars, beautiful homes, and of course clothing. And why do we worry about such things? Let me rephrase this. Why do we why do we here in the richest nation on earth where many homeless even have smartphones? And if they so choose, can find their way to housing and a meal with air condition. Why do we worry? Why do we worry about clothing, jewelry, nice cars, and beautiful homes? Because we want them. Not because we need them. We want them. Desire, more often than not, is the motivation and not need for most stuff in life. Myself included. Listen to the tone of Jesus' question. And why are you worried about clothing? It's as if Jesus is pointing out that if you are living the way that his words instruct you to live, clothing ourselves should be a non-issue. It's often an issue because we make it an issue. Years ago, I took a stewardship class at church. It was one of the most convicting and informative classes I've ever taken. Early on in our marriage, Fleur and I purposed to take advantage of any and all opportunities our church offered to help us mature spiritually and practically as a new married couple. I can't stress how important it is to take advantage of any and all opportunities God blesses you with to improve your life beyond church on Sunday. One of the many takeaways from this stewardship class for me addressed the fact that many people outside and inside the church subvert God's plans for them by chasing after material wealth, which in turn not only becomes a source of anxiety, but interferes with having the life God intends for us to have. The teacher spoke about the fact that many people have bigger houses than they need, nicer cars than they need, more jewelry than they need, and fancier clothing than they need. And that many people are driven not by need, but desire, resulting in things like both parents working and the children placed in daycare or left at home and the spouses neglecting each other which often results in not only family challenges, but financial challenges because of ever-increasing debt, not based on need, but desire. And for some, enough is just never enough. Scripture makes it clear that hard work deservingly often results in wealth, which is an earned blessing, but not if desire becomes the motivating factor. Not only does this compromise God's plan for the family, but it can create levels of anxiety that Christ makes clear do not have to be there. Again, quoting Jesus, and why are you worried about clothing? Are your worries related to desire or true need? And please know again that I am, when I ask these questions, I'm looking in the mirror. Let's move on to Matthew 6, 28b. Notice how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor nor spin thread for cloth. 
Yet I say to you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? Matthew 11, 11 tells us that the greatest man ever born of woman is John the Baptist. And Matthew 3, 3 tells us John the Baptist dressed in camel fur and had a diet of bugs and honey. The greatest man to ever live probably looked like a homeless person. Revelation chapter 11 speaks of two great witnesses for the Lord, calling them olive trees and lampstands, who are clothed in sackcloth. But here in our passage, Christ says we will be clothed much more than Solomon and the lilies of the field. Why are standout men in God's word clothed like homeless? Well, one, because they're humble servants, and they probably do not care at all about making a fashion statement. And two, the clothing in which Christ is speaking of is the very righteousness he clothes us in that prepares us, carries us through this life and into the next. By his nakedness on our cross, he clothed us in his righteousness. Just as Isaiah 61.10 said he would. Listen to these prophetic words written 800 years before Christ was born. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exalt my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me in a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks herself with garland, and as the bride adorns herself with her jewels. For those in Christ, we are dressed in Christ. But there will always be room for our faith to mature until we are actually in his presence. You of little faith. Matthew 6.30b. You of little faith. This is a statement directed to us all. It's a call to mature in our faith. To lean on the Lord we claim rather than ourselves for everything. And as a parent on this day being Father's Day, I feel compelled to share a story regarding leaning on Christ rather than myself. 20 years ago today, Father's Day, before Fleur and I had any kids, we were at a big church in the San Fernando Valley. Fleur was teaching Sunday school. I was not serving at the time. I needed something to do the first hour, so I chose one of the many, from one of the many community groups on campus and entered a room with about 300 people. There was a guest speaker. Because it was Father's Day, the high school pastor. Again, I had no kids at the time, but I now know on that Father's Day, God was preparing me, a childless man, to eventually be father of seven. The young pastor opened with a question. What do you as parents worry about most regarding your kids? Sex? Drugs? Alcohol? Tattoos? Piercing? How they dress? School performance? Employment? He then proceeded to share the one thing 
that can and should free us from such worries. Giving it over to the Lord. He said something so simple but true. And that was, if your kids are right with the Lord, everything else will work out as it should. We don't need to be consumed with all those other things. And therefore, a parent's primary concern should be praying for and guiding their children towards Christ and not being consumed with all the challenges of the world. And how do we do this? By practicing what we preach and preaching what we practice. Another pastor once told me the best thing I could do for my kids is love their mom the way Christ loves me and to make sure that they understand that it is God's word that directs and guides me. And in doing so, present a picture of life with Christ as something to be needed and desired. And this applies not just to parenting, but to everything in life as believers, as disciples for Christ which is what believers are. We are called to be salt and light. We can only do this by living as though Jesus truly is our Lord. And this also requires effort. Listen closely to what Philippians 4.9 says. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Practice these things. The way we grow our faith is by practicing it, acting on the words of the Lord we claim. And he promises that if we do, our anxiety will fade and our confidence will grow in him. I'd like to conclude with a few questions. Who is the Lord of your life? What does the practice of your Christian faith look like beyond Sunday mornings? Where can you improve? And how will you commit to praying about it? And what anxiety will you throw on Christ believing that he cares for you. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, what a blessing that is on this Father's Day and every day to call you Father. Your word tells us in Habakkuk 2.4 that the righteous will live by faith. Righteousness not by deed, but by your work, Christ, on behalf of us. By your grace, those who know, call you, and follow you as Lord have truly been clothed by much more than anything else in your creation, clothed in garments that will never fade or even need changing because we have been suited for eternity with you. And because of this, Lord, you have called us in this life to cling to the forever hope we have in you to secure us in this life and to prepare us for the next. With this considered, Lord, we ask that you would give us the strength to live out our faith confidently and to embrace the challenges of life as opportunities to grow in you and be a testimony for you. 
We praise you as Lord and thank you as Lord and petition you to empower us with your Holy Spirit to live lives that testify of being clothed by you. In your name, Jesus.